Good morning. If you have your Bibles with you, would you turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2? We'll start reading in uh, verse 1. Therefore, rid yourself of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. A stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. A recent survey of born-again Christians from the ages 18 to 55 revealed some startling statistics. Those who agreed with the core Christian doctrines fell from 45% to 25%. That's a mere one-fourth of the people that are born claim to be born again Christians. Bible-based beliefs between young adults fell from 15% to 5. And among 18 to 39-year-olds, more than 60% say there's more than one way to salvation, including Jesus, Buddha, and Muhammad. Also, 30% said that Jesus either sinned while on earth or they didn't know. Equally troubling is that those who believe that Satan, the devil, is either real or just symbolic. However, to put things in perspective, in 60 A.D. in the Roman Empire, a mere 1% of the population had a Christian view. But 300 years later, Almost the entire empire was Christian to some degree. So there is hope. How, you might ask. Hope is an in intimacy. Intimacy is defined as a close, familiar, or friendship. A private, cozy relationship. There are four kinds of intimacy. And it needs to be unfiltered honesty. Don't qualify your feelings. 
Don't allow your, you need to allow yourself to be vulnerable. Let your heart be seen. I remember going to church after my mother had passed away. I felt angry, mad, shortchanged. I thought I should have had another ten years with my mother. Many of you have heard me talk about how I was blessed to enjoy the last meal with my mother, even though I didn't know at the time it would be her last meal. So, blessed and yet mad and angry. Makes me seem somewhat ungrateful, doesn't it? God understands our feelings. We go through troubling times. On this side of glory, there's a lot of things we will not understand. But Jesus has been here on earth. He knows what we go through. And he understands. There's mental intimacy. Talk to God. He will reveal things to you. He may reveal the meaning of a scripture that you've read multiple times without understanding. He may give you directions on how to complete a task. He may tell you to pray for someone, go somewhere, or someplace. Spiritual intimacy. Let your spirit connect with the Spirit of God. Soak in His presence. Let His Spirit permeate yours. Songs like, I Can Only Imagine. In the garden, alone with Him. Fill my cup, Lord. Amazing grace. Many, great many of those songs will bring me to tears as I soak in His presence. To realize what He's done for me. Physical intimacy. You're probably thinking, we can't have physical intimacy with God. But I will say you're wrong. God's the creator of this universe. And if you're, whether you're out working in the garden or smelling that fresh-picked flower, gazing upon his magnificent redwoods, watching his free-flowing rivers, amazing or looking in amazement at River Rock, high up on a hill where a river has never been before. Examining lava rock from an eruption, where some of it is as light as air, and the next piece could be as heavy as a piece of steel. We're looking upon these snow-capped mountains, viewing into the amazement of the crater lake, taking in the beauty of all of his trees, in the forests and throughout, or in awe of his petrified forest. We are acting, interacting with him physically. Intimate relationships don't just happen. They are intentional. You didn't get to have a best friend just because you called him on the phone once in a while. At some point, there had to be a period of closeness. You didn't get a relationship with your spouse because they sat on the other side of the room. Unless, of course, your marriage was prearranged, as in some cultures. You had to have a moment of closeness. I know of Bart Mallard, of, of the band Mercy Me. But I don't know him intimately, and he has no idea who I am. So we don't have a relationship. We can't have an intimate relationship with anyone without 
having the closeness that it takes. And because I have an intimate relationship with someone doesn't mean you can, that you have that intimate relationship just because you know me. Your intimate relationship will also have to be personal with that person. My relationship with Jesus is mine. My children and grandchildren, while I might bring them to Christ, their relationship has to be theirs. They can't tag along on my coattails. I'd like you to open your Bible back up to Matthew chapter 25. Starting in verse 1. At that time, a kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming. And they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out. Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the doors were shut. Later the others came, Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. The foolish virgins represent those who are trying to enter under someone else's coattails. The oil represents the relationship we have with Christ. We cannot keep our fire burning on someone else's oil. It needs to be ours. Saul, who later became the Apostle Paul, was seeking to kill and persecute and imprison the followers of Jesus Christ. He thought he was doing the will of God. It was not until he had that Damascus Road experience, blinded by the light, that he got that intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. He became such a changed man. He went from a persecutor of the followers of Jesus Christ to a preacher of the gospel. He became such a changed man that the religious leaders of the day wanted him killed. Paul was full of religious learning, but he said that his religious learning became mere filthy rags when he met Jesus. We need an intimate relationship with Jesus so we don't listen to the wrong voices. 
When we sin, we are listening to the wrong voices. John 10:27 tells us, My sheep know my voice, and they follow me. If we don't hunger for God, how can we ever be filled? We need to be get, get beyond the facade of modern-day religion and focus on Christ so that we may be able to enter the throne room of God. Ephesians 3.12 tells us, In Him and through Him, faith in Him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Only the heart content with surrender can truly rest in victory of Jesus and enjoy the fruits of peace. What does it mean to surrender? It means acknowledgement. We need to recognize God's sovereignty. In Philippians 2.11, And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Availability. Saying yes to God's priorities. And being available and being in His presence. Reading the Word and worshiping Him. Children spell love, T-I-M-E, time. So does God. He wants our time. It's not just being available, but also actively waiting on Him. Are we too busy on Facebook, cell phone, Twitter to be available? We need to cut out the distractions. Give God our individual attention. James, verse 4, 8, chapter 4, verse 8 in the New Living Translation. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. For your loyalty is divided between God and the world. The world has a real pull on our lives. And we need to actively guard against that. Anticipation. We need to eagerly await God's opportunities. God has a plan for your life. Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And notice it doesn't say you will seek and find me when you come with part of your heart. He wants all of your heart. What if every time you went somewhere you realized God has put me here? I don't believe in coincidence. God's a God of order. This summer while we were on vacation and we were going through California and down the Pacific Coast Highway, there were only certain times you could go down the highway because it had a slide on it. They had to restrict traffic so they could work on it. We timed our day so we could get down and back at the right time without having to wait in line. We saw what we wanted to see and taking a walk on the beach. I always love to walk on the beach, check out the different kinds of sand. This one was a salt and pepper sand. 
I love to look for sand dollars. I've yet to find one that's whole. But I was picking up shiny little pebbles. And a gentleman walked up to us and asked what we were doing. And I told him I was gathering little shiny rocks because my grandson loves to play with them. And we got to talking and he mentioned that his wife had just gone to the hospital with a heart attack last night. And he proceeded to tell us through his conversation that he had dementia, which we were able to pick up on fairly quickly. Wife and I have both dealt with people who've had dementia. It was obvious, but fortunately he knew he had a problem. He asked if we were about ready to leave. I said we would be leaving shortly. He said, well, come up to the road up here in my red pickup, and I've got something I want to give you. So he walked back to the pickup, and as I continued to <clears throat> gather a few more shiny pebbles for my grandson to play with, we decided it was time for us to head back. So I get up the car and start emptying out my pockets, and you know my overalls can hold a lot of rocks in those pockets. <laughs> and I asked Sherry, I said, do you want to go see what he's got for us? Well, I don't really care one way or the other. And I'm looking in the rearview mirror, and I see the man whose name was Arnie. Looks like he's searching for something. And I says, I think we need to go see. So we go over where he's at and ask him what he's looking for. He says, I've lost the keys to the pickup. And we knew he had to have them to get there. But where did he lose them? Did he lose them on the beach? I'll be in the pickup. We start searching and finally he comes up with a set of keys. He says, these are my wife's keys. We're, we're good. Okay, we, we think problem solved. And about that time, another pickup drives up behind our car, and he yells out and says, I see you're from Oklahoma. Now, I know he's looking at the back of my car and sees my license plate, so I couldn't resist myself. I said, you picked right up on that, did you? And talking with him, learned that he was actually born in Catoosa, and he'd moved with his parents to California when he was young. And as they were having a conversation with him, Arnie comes back around and he says, these aren't the right keys. So we bid the gentleman good day, go back and help Arnie look for the keys. He finally finds them. And I says, we're not leaving until you put them in the ignition and turn this thing on. He puts them in. Sure enough, the pickup fires up. We're good to go. He gives Sherry a cutting board that he had made which is what he wanted us to come to a pickup to get. He handcrafts those in his free time. And Sherry felt led to pray for Arnie and his wife. And we did that before we left. And he asked where we were from. And we told him. And he says, my dad was from Tulsa. Becomes a small world.
And needless to say, the extra time that we spent with Arnie on the beach there, we missed our window of opportunity to make it back through the highway. We got to sit and wait. But that was irrelevant. We knew we'd done what we were supposed to do. I believe God puts things for us to do. But it's up to us whether or not we take that opportunity. We almost didn't stop to help Arnie. Isaiah 6, 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. Is the opportunity going to be around forever? Leonard Ravehill said, The opportunity of a lifetime must be seized during the lifetime of the opportunity. I need to repeat that. The, life, the opportunity of a lifetime must be seized during the lifetime of the opportunity. Opportunities don't last forever. If we don't take the opportunity that's put before us, it'll either go undone or God will give it to someone else. And that may be as simple as taking a different way home or taking the time to talk to someone on the beach. Attentiveness. We need to be listening to God's direction. The definition of multitasking. Doing a bunch of things poorly at the same time. I can relate to that. Whether you're talking on the phone while you're driving or trying to go grocery shopping and talking on the phone, you get distracted and you forgot what you went to the store to get. We need to make a serious effort to cut out the distractions and let God into our life. We need to listen for God's thoughts. Submission. Accepting God's governance to His direction and correction. Some of my fondest memories are me asking questions of God and Him responding to me in His corrective way. I know He does that because as a parent corrects a child, as they love them. So God will give us correction because He loves us. Surrender. Submitting to God's correction. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Correction is a teaching moment. Surroundings. Aligning our environment with God's standards, the places we frequent, and what we let into our mind. Music, movies, pornography. If they are not things that you would want your daughter or your spouse or Jesus to be a part of with you, then you probably shouldn't be there. Proverbs 4, 23 and 24 tells us, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free from perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. I was reading a recent editorial in a builder's magazine. The author, Rich, described a nice garden cart that came with a house he recently purchased. The only problem was in the backyard where the gate was, there was a slope. 
and that gate opening was only one inch wider than the wheels on that garden cart. And it was evidenced by the marks on the gate posts how difficult it was to get that cart through that gate. He learned that when he focused on the rock on the other side, out in the distance, almost without fail, he could make it through that gate with not a problem. He would say that if he was tired or failed to focus on that rock because he didn't understand why it was effective, he would almost assuredly come to a sudden stop when those wheels hit the gateposts and he'd have to back up and try again. In life, Jesus is our rock to focus on. He can help you get through life's trying and difficult times. He'll help you get through that narrow gateway. Revelation 3.20 Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. He doesn't force his way in. He'll knock. It's our responsibility to open the door. He wants to have an intimate relationship with us. And as we prepare to sing a song of invitation today, if you'd like to make Jesus the Lord of your life, if you'd like to make Jesus your rock to help you through life storms, if you'd like to receive the level of intimate relationship that Jesus Christ desires you to experience, won't you come as we sing?